Welcome to A Higher Future in Healthcare, where we're exploring obstacles and solutions to healthcare's growing workforce demands. Tune in to hear from thought leaders as they share their perspectives on strategy, technology, AI, and people who are paving the way for transformative change. Hey everybody, this is Ubaldo Simignetti, and welcome to another episode of A Higher Future in Healthcare. I am joined by two really just great people who've been advisors to us and friends of us who uh, bring really interesting uh, thought leadership perspective to the conversation of not only healthcare, but workforce and healthcare and, and, and that sort of thing. And so today we wanted to just take that and, and showcase their thoughts on what's happening in healthcare today. And so I want to uh, turn it over to uh, Dave Brooks and Karen Conway, who are joining me this morning. How are you two doing? And please uh, do a quick intro um, about who you are and, and why you're here. <laughs> Karen, you go first. Okay. Hi. It's a pleasure to be with you, um, Ubaldo, and with Dave. Um, um, really enjoying working with you and with the other advisors to interview IA. Um, so, Karen Conway. Um, I am primarily a systems thinker, a lot of background in continual quality improvement. And um, really, I focus on the supply chain, um, but supply chain really in terms of all of the resources that we need um, to deliver optimal health, to deliver health care and sick care when needed. And, and how do we optimize those resources in order to advance the objectives of value-based healthcare? And so I'm thinking very, very broadly about supply chain and about resource management, et cetera. Although I will admit that during the pandemic, um, I did focus on those supplies and those boxes of PPE and other kinds of things that we needed. And there was one benefit um, personally to that. My children actually said to me, oh, mom, I actually understand what you do for a living. So that's just a little bit about me. Isn't that amazing? It takes a pandemic for, for that to happen. Right. But I mean, that's such a crucial aspect that, you know, a lot of people don't think about, particularly when you're sick, right? And you you just want to be taken care of. It, the thought of supplies doesn't even come into my mind. If I'm walking into an urgent care, you just sort of assume that's a thing. But I mean, it, sometimes it's not. That can be a well, problem. And is there an urgent care? You know, is there yeah. a is there the right kind of personnel there to take care of you? So yeah. when I say supply chain is kind of not a great term, um, sure. it really is about resources, all of the resources, human and um, and stuff. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, Dave Brooks. Hello, how are you? Hi there. And Karen, <laughs> I totally agree. You take you know you take it all for granted in the and then until it doesn't work properly, and then all of a sudden it becomes uh, you know center focus, uh, supply chain, resource management, all those types of things. Yes. So thank you for for uh, for what you did to help keep people as safe as possible during the pandemic. Uh, so my background is more health uh, administration, uh, longtime healthcare executive um, in a number of large uh, health systems, uh, predominantly not-for-profit, many of them faith-based uh, health systems, uh, you know, kind of C-suite type player, uh, including a number of years at the end of that kind of part of the career as CEO over uh, a market for uh, for some large Catholic health care systems. And then uh, a few years ago, you know, after a very long run, I started early, you know, young, <clears throat> um, I decided to uh, 
<clears throat> excuse me, retire early, if you will, or semi-retire early. I failed at retirement and uh, uh, left kind of the C-suite. And I actually spent a couple years uh, here in Metro Detroit, where I'm from and where I'm at right now, at uh, Wayne County, which is the county Detroit's part of, so a large urban, one of the largest urban and, and unfortunately one of the poorest counties in the country as the uh, director of health and human services. So that, that gave me a great perspective of public service, but also the challenges of public health, the challenges of community health, uh, and the challenges of coordinating a, just a myriad of diverse providers and players in, in all of healthcare. Uh, and then I am now kind of doing a number of things, including uh, uh, honored to serve as one of the advisors, UB with you and Karen, uh, to, to interview IA, as well as a few other firms, but also I'm doing some teaching and I'm doing some consulting and a, just a nice, diverse mix of things to do, which is, which is great because it allows me to squeeze in uh, uh, sporting, going to sporting events or uh, we're going as we were just talking about to rock and roll shows still it was harder to do when i was working uh full time dave what keeps drawing you back in you know you say you failed at retiring like what what draws you back into this world of healthcare? you know it's probably a combination of personal and professional personal you know i'm still energetic uh and i still have an eagle so i want to feel like i'm adding value and and i like reinforcing the people to reinforce that to me uh, and uh, I like challenge, and so competitiveness—not competitiveness in a bad way, but competitiveness of the challenge of trying to get successful at something or help a team be successful at something, right? So that, and then on the professional side, I mean, I—I I was blessed to have an amazing career, 35 years in the C-suite. So you know, there are—I had great earnings because of that. I've had great stature, and again, back to my ego and all that. You know, Maslow. I got to self-actualize. Remember the top of the pyramid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I and I I res I um I'm blessed with that. So I feel like I have to give back, and I have a lot of experience. Now, whether it's good or bad, or I have good ideas or not, it's a different question. You'll have to figure that out as one of your since I'm one of your advisors. Uh, I have a lot of advice. I just can't guarantee any of it's good advice. Or you have to figure out what's good and what's not so good. So the fact that I can still kind of give back and help out and use that experience and not just kind of let it atrophy, um, you know, is important to me. That's kind of the professional driver. You know, I think I think that is so. Um, you know, I think you find a lot of people who work in healthcare. I think we go into healthcare for that reason, um, and then I think we we can never quite leave because I've got a lot of friends who have asked me why. You know, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, I'm never going to retire. Um, I have this passion, and if you're doing good work with good people for the right kind of outcome, you know, so personally, you know, as I've looked at, um, you know, I, I did a master's in the science of healthcare delivery a few years ago, and it was really about where I got, I've always had this strong focus on the environment since I was in fourth grade, um, but then really starting to understand the issues around health equity. And I think you'll hear this in some of our discussion. Um, sometimes I apologize if it's a little ad nauseum, but I have this real passion around chronic disease. Mm -hmm. And because it's 90% of our 
healthcare expenditures in this country. It bankrupts individuals. It bankrupts families. It it lowers the productivity of of companies. Um, it impacts poverty levels in communities, which, as Dave will know, has a direct correlation to the clinical and the financial performance of hospitals. And quite frankly, if you look at what Fitch Ratings says, it is this increase in chronic disease that is a major drag on our national economy. So I'm always looking at root causes, again, as a systems thinker and a, and a quality person, and how do we stem that that's causing this level of chronic disease that's having a negative impact on so many people. So I, you know, I'm going to do that until, um, until I can no longer contribute effectively. Um, and I'm like, Dave, it's like, I'll always have advice. <laughs> we'll find out. Well, there's right. always, yeah, I mean, there's always going to, there's always that need. There's always, we need that guidance, especially now. So it's kind of a great segue into the topic that we're covering today, which is um, sort of fat, how do we fast forward healthcare, right? What is, what does it look like to rapidly adapt to these market forces? COVID's a great example that, that we, we you have to adapt to as, as anything, uh, but particularly healthcare, because if you don't, we've got problems like it's sort of, we're kind of at a crossroads uh, I feel like. And so, you know, what, let's start with those market forces. What is driving the need for this rapid adaptation that we're sort of seeing, um, you know, sort of like value-based care, that concept that's, that's, you know, kind of taking over uh, what, what are those forces that are driving this? Okay. Well, you know, as I said, you're going to hear me talk about chronic disease. So if you really do think about the costs of healthcare. So again, I'm looking at this as, as a systems thinker. How do we design the system in a way that it operates in a way to deliver um, what the system should do, which is deliver optimal health? Because when people are sick, you know, when people talk about who should pay for this, et cetera, the reality is if if people don't have insurance or if people don't have access to what they need to take care of themselves, they're going to be sick. And ultimately, everybody pays for that. If you just have to put it in purely financial terms, um, you know, certainly there's a human need. And I believe that Americans, you know, are a very caring society. So we want to take care of people. But but the reality is there is a fiscal impact on absolutely everybody. Now, one of the problems is, is that you still have a lot of markets that are still reimbursed based on fee for service. And so mm -hmm. traditionally we have looked at that based on, we've got to have the volume of the services that deliver the kind of revenue that healthcare systems need to stay in the black to keep those doors open. Dave, you know this better than anybody. But what I'm seeing is um, even in markets that are heavily fee-for-service, um, I'll give you an example. I had an opportunity to interview and work with um, Kathy Jacobson, the CEO at Freightert in Milwaukee. And she has a, she's a CPA, she has a financial background, but as a CEO, she's looking at it as a systems and she's saying, we've got to slow the incoming, coming in. We've got to help prevent those hospitalizations. Those people who would not need to be in the hospital if they had access, if they had a good job, safe and affordable housing, nutritious food, all of those social, economic and environmental determinants of health. So 
as a CEO, she's going, you know what, I'm looking at this at the impact, for example, on my workforce. They can't handle this over volume um, of people who are needing their care because it's leading to burnout. We saw that in the pandemic, but it's still happening. And so how do we reduce that demand for services so we're not risking that further burnout? And quite frankly, the loss of those critical employees that are keeping the doors open are there to take care of people and are quite frankly needed in order to have the um, sound fiscal operation of our healthcare system. Yeah, I like Karen. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I like the way you, you know, it's funny when you talk about cost, it turns so many people off, right? I mean, it's like, it, the word is almost, uh, you know, this lightning rod of caregivers and clinicians think of it, oh, you're just trying to manage a budget, you're bean counters, you're trying to find profits, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the community or others, public officials, frankly, think of it when they hear the word cost come out of healthcare people um, as you're just trying to, you know, maximize profits and income, you know, create big incomes for C-suite and other people and all of that type of thing, right? It's a turnoff. It's not inspirational. I think you know, there's almost like a continuum where cost drives affordability and affordability drives access. If you think again about, you know, this uniqueness of American healthcare, it's all about access where in almost every other country, and I'm not trying to do one of those, oh, we need to, you know, go into socialized healthcare. But in other countries, there's, a, there's already a min spec, a floor of access for everybody in the country. Now, certainly there are ways to go above and beyond for more of a service aspect of access, right? You know, the queue, as they refer to it in the British or the national health system, uh, you know, you can cut the queue or whatever it might be, the line, but everybody still has the right and access to those clinical services. It's just a matter of some service amenities that might change a little bit, except in America. In America, access is all about affordability because it's all about cost and coverage right and as we if we can figure out how to manage costs to be something that's more reasonable for everybody then it becomes accessible to everybody in the community not necessarily equally accessible again in the sense of certain amenities but and that's what happened that's why without access people use the er as their primary care center right, or whatever it might be, or issues become, go from being chronic to acute or life-threatening, as you were mentioning, the chronic disease issue, and therefore an asthmatic ends up in an emergency room when they really, because they didn't have access to manage their asthma on an outpatient or a preventative basis, right? So they, absolutely, if you can't breathe, you got to end up in an ER, no doubt about it. The question is, well, why can't they breathe? Well, they couldn't breathe because they couldn't get their meds or they didn't know how to use their meds properly or they didn't get uh, access to a primary care clinician or whatever it might be. Or frankly, even someone online because the $35 or the $65 or whatever was a barrier. So I do think that's a challenge for all of America and it permeates, but it, uh, a lot of the a lot of the issues but it, it's not as narrow as cost in the sense of, as a CFO might think of cost, only a CFO, I think leaders, right? And, I, and then the other thing, I'll just put a kind of a, a point of emphasis on what you were talking about. And I, I don't know if it relates as much to the, the cost or the economics, it's just the realities right now. 
is this challenge with the workforce and burnout and talent and all of those types of things. You know, you, if you talk to, you know, later generation doctors, either those about to retire or those at least, you know, ending their career or at the peak, even at the peak of their career, but they've been for a while. You, you, if you ever talk to them and ask them about their kids and are they, are they encouraging their kids into going into medicine? Right. Hmm. And I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, second, third generation doctors, I don't know if they want the next generation, their next generation to go through what they feel like they've gone through. So, mm-hmm. and not just, not just physicians, but other care professionals, right? Caregiving professionals. I worry about that. Nurses. I mean, the burnout factor right now amongst nurses, oh my goodness. And then with it, all the consequences that come from that. Um, in the sense of uh, shifts not covered and therefore quality of care, or, and then the, that downward spiral of more and more burnout, or, or frankly, the increase of unionization of nurses and other professionals because they need a collect, they feel like they need a collective voice because their individual voices aren't effective for them anymore in protecting their profession and protecting their relationship with a patient uh, or each other and all that. I mean, it's it's a challenge right now. And those, those are market forces, right? Not necessarily good forces, but those are market forces. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there there is, um, it seems there are more negative forces at play than, than positive ones. And a big part of that is the human factor. I mean, that's such a good point. I'd never thought about sort of the passing on of generations of this work. You know, there's a shortage, clearly. And the the most natural way to avoid that is to is to pass it on. But we don't because of the because of the conditions. Man, that's 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 a whole other show <laughs> to think about. Wow. Well, so, we gotta do, so let's do something about it. We can't sit by. Yeah, that's down, right. Especially those, especially those of us with a little gray hair and uh, <laughs> going on here, we're going to need more and more of an effective healthcare system ourselves, yeah. personally, right? As yeah, I get there, absolutely. as I get older, you know, those chronic conditions Karen's talking about and other things are going to personally affect me more and more. And I'm going to be relying on a really well-run, accessible, high-quality healthcare system made up of caregivers yeah. who are thrilled to see me. Uh, as a patient, right, to yeah. serve their profession. And uh, huh. I, I, we have to do something about this. Absolutely. Well, so what are some strategies? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about some strategies that healthcare organizations can adopt to to be more agile, to be more adaptable in the face of these, these market shifts. So to ensure not only their long-term success, but to ensure our long-term successes as the community at large, right? Who need who need this care? What are what are some strategies? You know, care? one of the things one of the things I'm seeing, and and Dave, I'd really like to um, you know, from your position and perspective um, in healthcare, one of the strategies I'm seeing is more of this movement towards partnerships. Um, you know, for a long time, we've seen a lot of the strategies in healthcare systems has been quite frankly around mergers and acquisitions. 
And one, it can support the continuum of care because people need things all along the way, um, whether they're coming in for a hip replacement or whether they're being treated for chronic disease. But but what I it was oftentimes mergers and acquisitions, quite frankly, for market power because you need that negotiating power, um, quite frankly, with the payers. But what I'm seeing is more of a move towards trying out partnerships and thinking again about all of the different things that people need. Because ultimately, yes, you do need that well-trained physician. And sometimes you need that specialist. But you know what? Sometimes you need a nurse practitioner. Sometimes you need a social worker. Sometimes you just need a peer who has the same chronic disease, who has been trained to be able to help with peer management. We're talking about what's the most effective, and I'm not just talking about cost, but the most effective kind of care. And then the other is really looking at kind of this shift from, frankly, we spend a lot of time about what does the hospital need? What does the doctor need? What kind of procedures deliver the most revenue? It's a fact of life. But we really do need to focus on cost. And what's interesting is we're seeing more and more studies, particularly among younger doctors who are saying, I also want to understand what is the cost of the care that I am prescribing. I want to be a partner. I want to be at the table. So it's a matter of starting to look at what do we need to do? How do we create partnerships? Maybe those partnerships sometimes do lead into an acquisition um, of a home health care agency or of an ambulatory surgery center. But a lot of times it's, can we partner with those non-acute and those social service agencies so that we can work together and share not only in financial success, but we're also sharing risk. So we're all in this together. And I think that comes down to leadership in terms of those kinds of leaders who can look at the ultimate goal and can look at value for everybody. Because if you don't change the system in a way that everybody can achieve value, that was one of the problems, I think, with the Affordable Care Act. I think we had to we had to do something, but we tried to finance it by taking things away from the different sectors in healthcare, and we've got to redesign the system in a way that everybody can achieve value that sustains it. But ultimately, we're all trying to focus on that value, and I think it is a lot about having also mutual respect for the expertise of all of the different players, whether it's different types of clinicians, whether it's the people who are managing the financial aspects of the house, and whether it's the people who are actually doing that stuff in the back, behind the scenes, who are making sure that the doors stay open, that the systems keep running, that the supplies are showing up, et cetera, and having that mutual respect for one another. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, I like that. I think you're right. I mean, it's, it, you, you mentioned it in the framework of partnerships. And I think that's right. You know, and there's always been, I mean, again, the old guy here who's been around for 30 something years doing this partnerships and, and collaboration and all that was kind of the, as I entered the profession in the eighties, that was almost, it was, it was less competitive of a of healthcare. You think about it, every, almost every hospital was a single hospital. Right. There were there were no multi-hospital systems and consolidation. So the nature of it led war partnerships and collaborations within communities. And you you 
literally even joint plan things. You know, one hospital would say to a neighboring hospital, okay, so we'll do the birthing unit and you do the cardiac unit, right? That way we both aren't trying to do it and we're serving the community better. There were even organizations, planning organizations, uh, governmental or quasi-governmental planning organizations that assured that and coordinated some of those things. And that all went away when we said we wanted it to be much more market-based, not trying to say that's wrong, because remember what cost escalation was in those days uh, and the, and you know, the cost-based reimbursement and so on. So partnerships took on a different mindset in a competitive world, right? And I think so much of it was built around and is still somewhat built around and, and you kind of got to it a little bit there, Karen, you know, this illusion of control. Can you really have an effective partnership if you're not in control or if you have a need for control? And that's where acquisitions come into play or things like that, right? As opposed to we have common vision, we have common missions. How do we figure out how to do this? Again, you need the regulatory environment to allow that to happen. Antitrust, anti, you know, those uh, anti-competitive behaviors, uh, you know, get regulators, um, coming down and looking at organizations and, and sometimes misinterpreting activities or being too narrow. And everybody's afraid of that, or at least we portray ourselves as afraid of that. Uh, could, could also be just be that control thing rising up in a, in a convenient way. You never know. But I do, I do think you're right. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure every, every sector and in every industry, you know, professional says it, but you know, healthcare, I'd argue is at least equal to, if not past, a, you know, most other sectors in America as a team sport, right? It just can't happen without such a team, the different type of caregivers, the different type of roles from finance people to marketing people to supply chain resource planning people to uh, hopefully some good general executive administrator types here or there, uh, being self-serving, of course, uh, but also all the others that make uh, healthcare, uh, you know, uh, ecosystem work, whether it be an organization or a series of organizations, it's it's got to be about a team and how you bring it together, which goes back to what you're saying, the partnership piece, right? And then what's the core strategies of all that, um, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, trust in relationship. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation in our next episode. A Higher Future in Healthcare is a production of IIA Healthcare, a healthcare technology company and creators of Interview IA, an interview platform for healthcare organizations to streamline their interview processes to deliver unparalleled candidate experiences and to create a true competitive advantage for delivering quality care. Learn more at www.iiahealthcare.com.